Welcome to the Final Score Network and the Final Score Podcast, presented by Team Anders Realtors. I'm Andy. He's former D3 student athlete and co-host... Ryan! Find us on Podbean, the Apple Podcast Store, Spotify, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at TheFinalScore35. There is always plenty to run through, but before we get to it, a word from our presenting sponsor. Team Anders' goal is to serve its clients in finding the home that best fits their needs and make the process simple and fun along the way. They are a team of people who will be in close communication personally taking care of your real estate needs through technology, marketing, and advertising. Team Anders has served thousands of clients over 30 plus years in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area, and are here to serve you today. Learn more at teamanders.com. The TFS pod is back. Did you miss us? Got a little busy last week. This week's looking kind of busy, so we're throwing one at you on a Sunday to cover last week and this week. Don't worry. Even though it is kind of dead time, we're getting closer to college football. There's some things to talk about. A couple things intro-wise. Hats off to the Warriors, a true dynasty of somewhat unlikely champs, if you ask me. I mean, obviously, guys like Steph were high draft picks, but they've really built that team and and done some great things there. The Stanley Cup is getting good, predictably. uh, Almost always does. Hoping for a Game 7. Game 6 is tonight. By the way, watch the E360 um, about the bad blood between the Avs and the Red Wings. Fantastic, especially if you're a Red Wings fan. Uh, brings back a lot of memories for me and a lot of clenched fists watching those games, wanting to beat the you-know-what out of Claude Lemieux. LIV is still the sticky booger of the day. So a question for you. What's the bigger you-know-what show, NIL or LIV? That's a rhetorical question. We'll get to that probably later. NBA draft went down, and the coverage was an absolute clown show. Reminded me why I hate the NBA. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go find it somewhere. It was awful. College football is 62 days out. We've got a lot on the docket, so let's get to it. Ryan, the lectern is yours. We'll stay NBA draft and talk. We'll we'll give kudos to a Detroit team. something we don't do often. Um, The Pistons, Troy Weaver, the whole organization, you got this one right. For once in the history of Detroit sports, they did a draft correctly. You get the pick that you need. You get Jaden Ivey at number five. He falls there for some odd reason. You get him. Now you have an electric backcourt with him and Kate Cunningham. Athletes. They can play defense. They can both score. Brilliant. And he wants to be in Detroit. His mom played for the Shock. His grandpa played for the Lions. This is big time. Everyone wanted those big cheers when he in the arena when he um, got selected, so that's big time. And then they traded uh, the 2025 first rounder that they got from Portland when they dealt Jeremy Grant the day before, um, and uh, and ended up using that um, to trade for Jalen Duran, a 6'10 center from Memphis, a freak athlete. Um, he's still raw yet, but he has potential to be very good and great in the pick and roll game, DeAndre Jordan type. You actually did this correctly, Detroit. I'm so surprised and I'm happy, and it actually gives me hope. Um, and maybe I'll watch a Pistons game or two this year. I don't know. Got to return to the bad boys for me, but yeah, from afar, not much of an NBA guy. Um, still an A for their draft this year, um, and that's how you build a team. And we all know that all four professional franchises in Detroit have a lot of building yet to do. 
All right, so mine, a topic that we haven't talked about in a little while, and that is kind of the transfer portal in college sports, college football, and college basketball especially. We know it's a hot mess. It's become kind of free agency. I mean, Michigan State took great advantage of it last year, filled some holes, took advantage of it this year and filled some holes, and hopefully may even still fill a hole or two at some point in time um, with a different position. It's here to stay, but I was really happy to see last week in an article in The Athletic um, that the NCAA Transformation Committee, whatever the hell that is, um, came out recently and publicized recommendations um, on the transfer windows implementation, which could come as early as August. Thank you. Like right now, guys can just leave whenever they want. They can say, oh, I played a game. I don't like my coach anymore. I want to leave. And they're putting guys in roster flux. You know, it's harder to recruit. What do you need? What don't you need? Do you have mass casualties at a particular position? Do you lose three or four guys, you know, in basketball, which is, you know, a a third of your playable roster? Uh, So it's about damn time. Um, And kind of the, the gist of it is that the transfer windows will require that transferring athletes enter the portal during a specific time period in order to be immediately eligible to compete the following academic year. The idea is to provide clarity for both coaches and players around roster management, and administrators believe it will allow for more thought-out decision-making instead of emotional choices based on a bad practice or an in-game benching. Um, you, hopefully this will get kind of ratified or whatever the process is, but my question is, NCAA, where was this to begin with? You know, under pressure all of a sudden because of COVID, which is ridiculous in so many ways, you just pulled the trigger on this everybody can go wild, wild west of transferring. It's kind of like you lost control of NIL and then you're like, well, what do we do now? Like, duh. Hey, I interviewed with the NCAA in the early mid 2000s. I'm glad I didn't get that job because that is an absolute clown show in Indianapolis. I mean, it is a mess. Like, blow that thing up and get some logical people in there and start all over again. If you're going to punish schools who cheat, punish schools who cheat. Kansas bought national championship. Um, You know, like, transfer windows. Yeah, I'm okay for it, right? These are 18-year-olds making tough decisions. It happens, but put some rules around it. It's hard to put the square peg back in the round hole after the game has, has started. Like, Let's go square, square to begin with, or round, round to begin with, and figure this out at the beginning. Maybe with Emirate leaving, we'll get some good leadership in the NCAA. That's laughable. That's probably not going to happen. But the only way the NCAA does not cease to exist in a couple years is if they get their stuff together and figure this out. Um, This is a step in the right direction. But again, it shouldn't have to be an after-the-fact reparation. It should be thought about at the beginning. Take the time before you make a decision to do it right. So that's my thought on that. I'm hoping that they get it right. I'm hoping that we kind of see a little bit of more, you know, normalcy to the transfer portal. Not thousands of kids in there, half of which don't even get picked up by other schools. It's not helping the kids. Put some parameters around it. Figure it out. And do us a favor and figure stuff out before you implement it in the future NCAA. All right, Ryan, you've got the tee up for this week. We both agree with this. Chris sent it to me. It's uh, typical, typical Detroit media drivel. Go for it. Yeah, so uh, tee up this week. Um, We are going to tee up the Detroit Free Press, um, the Blue Boys. Um, So they're suing Michigan State University um, over donor gifts 
um, to fund Mel Tucker's salary in Michigan State not giving them the information on it. The Freedom of Information Act, typical. Are, are you guys kidding me? Why, why does this matter to you? You have nothing else to write about, so you do this. You, you don't talk about Michigan with their doctor and all that stuff. You mm-hmm. want to cover this garbage. Who cares? Why does it matter? It's not like they're stealing the money. It's not like the Saudis are giving them money, like the Live Tour. What is this? Why does it matter to you? Yeah, and uh, by the way, Michigan. it was okay for you to try to tie, along with ESPN, Nasser to everything Michigan State, Izzo, D'Antonio, etc., etc., but yet you sweep the whole thing, including Bo Schimbeckler's son calling his dad out and getting punched by his dad over what the doctor did there, but you want a Freedom of Information Act to see that donations from guys like Matt Ishbia and Dan Gilbert might have helped fund Mel Tucker's salary? Uh, hello? That's how universities work. That's how endowments work. That's how you get things. You have big donors who love their school and want to give money to see it do well. And part of that sometimes is earmarked for salary. You're trying to make a fire where there is no smoke. It's so typical of behind the blue curtain, Detroit media. Take your stupid request, shove it up your arse, and let's move on. Or let's talk about, you know... Stuff that Harbaugh does, you know, with his players. Let's talk about his weird stuff, like sleeping over at kickers' houses in Rockford. I mean, give me a break. I'm tired of it, Detroit media. I'm tired of you, ESPN. You can both go pound sand. All right, moving into our, well, I guess it's it still is four downs because we've got four downs, although fourth down is going to be super it's long. Be long we've got a lot to cover this week in golf, um, from our golf trip to U.S. Open to the craziness today at, at the – Uh, at the Hartford, at the Traveler in Hartford, Connecticut. Lots to go there, but we're going to start with a little bit of college football. Um, It was Ryan's idea to get us going on our weekly MSU position previews. He's the one who's doing the homework. I'm going to kind of sit back, listen, weigh in a little bit here and there. But this week, I think we're starting quarterbacks and running backs. Ryan, take it away. The backfield, interesting um, in the running back room, quarterback, Last year we went in, was it going to be Russo? Was it going to be Peyton Thorne? Obviously it was Peyton Thorne's, and he solidified that by just breaking the single-season touchdown passing record. Um, it was very solid. Um, just got has great command of the offense, um, great respect of his teammates. He's going to be a captain this fall, um, you know, he, and he's progressing as a quarterback. He's got a really good deep ball. He's very accurate, um, and he can run a little bit. Um, very heady, smart player f- with that football lineage uh, passed down from grandpa to dad to PT. Um, and it's his birthday today, so shout out to him. Happy birthday. Um, but, yeah, he's unquestioned, the unquestioned um, starter heading into 2022. Um, expecting a really, really big year out of him. I think he's going uh, to be great. I think he's going to be an all-Big Ten type of quarterback. He's severely underrated in the Big Ten and nationally as well, and I think that um, he's going to just keep surprising people and getting better. Um, and he um, could have up to three years of eligibility left if he wanted to, which is crazy. Um, as a redshirt junior with his COVID year there, and then backing him up, I think it's going to be Noah Kim. Um, no experience, which isn't great for for a backup. Um, if something were to happen to Peyton Thorne. Um, but, you know, he's he, he's got command of the offense. He's been in the system for a few years, and he's a redshirt sophomore now. Um, you know, and he's got a decent arm. So a couple of I mean, Western's pretty good. Akron, I don't think so much. Michigan State's schedule maybe allows for that a little bit more. You know, last year it was 
give the ball to him. We knew that Russo was established if we needed him, but right. it would not surprise me to see us try to get Kim some reps um, just because Kim and or who's going to be third string, you think? Um, I think it's up for grabs between Hamp, Fay and Hauser. I mean, Hamp, Fay is, you know, he's 6'5". He, he's long. Was a wide receiver pretty, early in high pretty school. Pretty good arm um, from what I've seen out of him. Pretty athletic. He played receiver for a lot of high school he just has no hardly any experience at all playing quarterback, and right. you know if something were to happen to these guys, I don't know if that'd be again. And Caden Hauser, um, you know, four-star recruit this year, early enrollee. I mean, this guy oozes talent. He's got an absolute rocket for an arm, and he's I mean, he's he put on 15 pounds in in the spring um, of muscle. Um, and he's got size six three, and he can move a little bit as well. Um, so he could be interesting to even throw him in, you know, say an Akron game, get him some reps, and keep that red shirt on him. I think that'd probably try. Right, they get the four game trying to rule. do, yeah, yeah. Get, just get him some reps in there and get him experience, and then maybe next year he takes over as the the backup and he's the heir apparent to Thorny. He's got three years as a starter, um, you know, coming in from Michigan State. So that's good stuff. Uh, but I think those two kind of share that third string spot. Um, but very strong position. Not no questions really, except I mean back up a little bit, but. Um, you know, I think there's good options um, back there. Talent for sure. Just a matter of you know getting well, the, getting the experience. And at least we don't have the old adage of you know if if you've got more than one quarterback, you don't have a quarterback. You know we don't have that. Um, but it would be nice to get somebody. Michigan to does. Michigan still does. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Not a big fan of the the you know rotating quarterbacks and platooning things and whatever. So I'm glad Michigan State's not in that position. You know, it was – Ryan and I both thought it would be Thorne last year, and obviously it was. Didn't know until they stepped out on the field at Northwestern who was going to be the quarterback. But clearly the the right and the good decision. Um, and it is his – it is his team. It's kind of like – I liken it to Kirk Cousins, the trajectory that he's taken, although arguably maybe even a quicker trajectory yep. than, than Cousins. But, you know, Cousins quickly won that quarterback room. He kind of won his teammates over, became a leader. Um, you know, nickel to his credit, who had already transferred once, shifted it over to a wide receiver, and, and away we went. Um, and you saw some really good things there. So, uh, you know, it's some good things ahead for Michigan State at the quarterback position for the next several years at this point in time. Yeah. So that's good. It's very, very solid. Um, got a lot of good things going there. Running back room is, you know, obviously a lot a lot to replace. Kenneth Walker um, should have been a Heisman finalist. In second round pick in the NFL draft. Duke Walker, award winner, first team all Big Ten. Um, just an absolute animal. Um, you know, we thought he could be good. We didn't know. And and then obviously was unbelievable last season for Michigan State. Um, there's some guys with a little bit of experience. You know, Jordan Simmons, he's had some carries. You know, Collins had a pretty good 2019 campaign and then kind of has fallen off since Joyner. Um, good third down back. But, um, you know, the, the starters, I, I think – Right now, it could go either way. I think it could be Jalen Berger, could be um, Jarek Broussard, both transfers. Jalen Berger comes from Wisconsin, had a good freshman year in 2020, and then last year was dismissed from Wisconsin after a couple games. He comes in, he's a bigger he's a top back. Top 100 recruit, Top wasn't 150 he? recruit from New Jersey, big back. He's pretty powerful, not the fastest guy in the world, but he'll run you over, and you know he's got experience, played for Wisconsin. I mean, great, great running backs. They obviously thought enough of him to – have him there and play a lot as a true freshman um but i think he he brings you know that that to the table you know experience stuff like that and he's you know i think he being here in the spring helps him get control and then you get a jarek broussard 
2020 uh, Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year. Uh, was dinged up last year, um, so didn't play as much. He's a smaller, more K-9, you know, 5'9". He's not the fastest guy in the world, but he's pretty shifty from the, the video I've seen of him. Um, and he can run guys over, too. Pretty powerful um, little guy, kind of maybe a Javon Ringer type um, in that capacity. But I think either of them could start. I think they're both going to get a lot of touches. Broussard might be a little um, a guy out of the backfield that can catch some passes. Um, so looking forward to that. And then I think, you know, right now I have them slotted as co-starters at running back and then the, make my second string, or I guess third string, Harold Joyner. Um, third down back, he's a good pass catcher. Um, he's really good at blocking. He's, he's bigger, so he's not the fastest guy. I would love to see them. So he gets more playing time to use his talent, convert him to an H-back. Yeah, like Connor like Hayward. For Connor Hayward, mm-hmm. maybe put a little weight on him. He obviously, like I said, he's got good hands. He can block a little bit, and he's big, 6'3". I mean, that's a really big running back. Um, and you might as well maximize his talent um, you know, while, while, while you can. Yeah, I think he has one, two, one or two more years left. Um, then you look at a guy like Davion Prim, a guy that coaches spoke very, very highly of um, in the spring, um, spring practice, stuff like that, and saw in the spring practice when I was there. He's very fast. He's shifty. Um, and he's a redshirt freshman this year um, of Oak Park. I think he's going to see a, a decent amount of carries. I think he's a third, should be third in line. If Joyner were to be H-back, he'd probably be third, or I guess number two um, behind one one and 1A one and Bergen Broussard. Um, I think he's got a lot of potential. Then Simmons and Collins kind of fall back there. I'm not a big Simmons guy. I think he's okay. He's not the fastest guy in the world. He's not very shifty or anything. Well, he's going to run. I think he's got decent speed, but he just runs into the back of his lineman because he doesn't wait to set up he's his, not a patient his cuts, which, you know, that's what we will miss potentially with Canine being gone is he set up his cuts and then he decided, like he put his foot in the ground and went. Yeah. Um, or he, he would read them before the hole was there and then decide to break it another way. So I think that's where, you know, that vision and that just instinct, I don't know if Simmons has that. I think you maybe can learn that through video and through reps. But, you know, the good thing I like about Collins is he's got great experience. He's proven as the way he was last year on the sideline. I mean, he was on punt team for a while because he was kind of buried in the depth chart, and he was the first guy to congratulate K-9 all along. So. Yeah, I mean, he's got that potential still. I mean, he's he's not fast really either, um, but he's you know, he's got experience and stuff, so that's good um, just in case. Um, so yeah, that's the that's the backfield for Michigan State. Looking forward to seeing how they look in fall camp, and then um, here in what's that sixty eight days um, now. So pretty well. I mean, I would say the backfield is is way more set than last year. I mean, we knew that we had K nine. We were hearing good things coming out of spring ball, but we hadn't really seen him play. Certainly hadn't seen him play in our offense. I mean, you saw him play in kind of the delay RPO offense of Wake Forest and then of course he burst on the scene with a 75 yard touchdown on the first touch of has a Michigan State Spartan has four touchdowns in the first game you're like okay we know what we got and then Thorne was able to settle in from there this year it's kind of the opposite you've got some really good running backs but you've got Thorne who's well established set the single season you know touch passing touchdown record for Michigan State last year he's got great receivers good established older receivers good young receivers which we'll probably get into next week yep um, but I think going, you know, comparative to this time last year going in, if, you know, you kind of hoped that the quarterback and running back positions would shake out to be really good and you had, you know, a pretty decent feeling that maybe K-9 would be good, I mean, then he was phenomenal. And you thought, okay, Thorne or Russo at the time could be good, and he was really good. Now's a year that Thorne could be great, 
and these slew of running backs can be really good, and it's a little bit of a trade-off, but you know, it's it's a much better position for Michigan State to be in this year going yeah, into the season. A lot more year. solidified and yeah, but it's good stuff. But yeah, next week we'll probably get into receivers slash tight ends. Um, so yeah. All right, moving on to uh, second down, uh, going to our weekly bracket, which you know, as you know, we've been doing here for quite a while to get us through kind of the the doldrums, the sports doldrums of summer. Um, this week, uh, we're going to go best TV and movie dads in honor of Father's Day a week or so ago. To, yeah, a week ago. Um, and a tip of the cap to the Stormy Warren show on the highway on Sirius XM. Though I didn't listen to their list when I ranked these, and I'm sure I missed some, but we're going to have a little bit of fun with this. All right, first in the cartoon dad's bracket, Ryan, we've got hmm. number one, Peter Griffin, <laughs> facing off against number four, George Jetson. Oh, Peter Griffin is the worst father of all time, but he's one of the funniest. Um, so, Peter Griffin. Peter Griffin. I got Peter Griffin as well. Playing the winner of number two seed Homer Simpson against number three seed Fred Flintstone. Now, mind you, Fred Flintstone, as I think they mock in maybe Family Guy, puts kids on puts top, his of kids the on car. top of the car at the drive-in on top of a dinosaur. So, I think all these guys could qualify. Maybe his bad dads, it's except for George Jetson. Yeah, but Homer or Fred? I'll go Homer. I gotta go Homer as well. Um, just the original cartoon TV. Well, I mean Fred Flintstone and George Jetson were before, but. A great model, role model for Peter Griffin. And then we got Peter Griffin against Homer Simpson. Uh, definitely. I'll go Peter. I, Homer's close. But. Yeah, I got to go Peter Griffin as well. Just he's a, he's a more versatile dad that I would say Homer. Homer <laughs> just works at the nuclear power plant, drinks a lot of Duff beer, likes Peter, his donuts. Yeah, uh, he's pretty predictable. Traits. Peter is a little bit less predictable, which is funny. All right. This bra- that bracket will face off against the winner of this bracket, the 70s and 80s dad bracket. This would be a little harder for you, maybe, yeah, Ryan. Yeah. But you got number one seed, Cliff Huxtable from um, the Cosby okay, show. Bill Cosby. Bill Cosby, not the Bill Cosby that we mm-hmm. kind of know him as now, but great TV dad. Facing off against number four seed, Al Bundy, who um, is married with children. Al Bundy, Ryan, is the dad from Little Giants, the coach. Uh, mm-hmm. O'Shea, just so you know. Yeah, I'll just go, I'll just go with the one seed. I don't I don't know enough. Cliff, fair enough. Uh, I'm gonna go with Cliff too. I mean, he was if you watched the Cosby Show in the '80s, he was the the consummate TV dad. Um, facing off against the winner of number two seed Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch and Jack Arnold from Wonder Years. Oh, I've seen both. I'll, I'll go Jack Arnold upset a little bit. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with that too. I love Jack Arnold uh, in big part because he reminds me of one Stu Walgren. Jeff, if you're listening to this podcast, you know I'm right. Um, love your dad. He was Jack Arnold to a T. Um, always stuck out to me. Just had the same kind of the same voice, the same persona, the same expressions. Um, funny, funny dude. So we got Cliff Huxtable against Jack Arnold. Uh, Jack Arnold. All right, Ryan's sure. going with Ryan's going with uh, Kevin Arnold's dad. I, I'm going to go with Cliff Huxtable just because, again, Doctor Huxtable. He was he was a pretty funny dude. Bill Cosby, great comedian. Even if kind of shady things uh, came out over over time beyond that. So I'm going to go with uh, the number one seed there. All right, and this is going to be one that's going to be pretty fun in the '90s, 2000s bracket. We've got number one seed. 
Frank Costanza <laughs> against number four seed, his mortal enemy, Morty Seinfeld. I hate Morty Seinfeld, so it's got to be Frank. But you don't like Morty? Why not? Idiot. Oh, no. Come on. Morty's a, he's, he's a good dad. He sold trench coats, for crying out loud. But how can you go against Frank Costanza? He is hilarious. Um, and kind of with the quintessential New York dad, I would say. All right, so then shake it up a little bit. Number two seed, Coach Eric Taylor from Friday Night Lights. And number three seed, Phil Dumphy, a.k.a. Dob Doppelganger uh, from Modern Family. Oh, I'll go Phil Dumphy. Phil Dumphy, good choice. Hilarious, just a goofball, just kind of your typical embarrass you dad. Um, coach Eric Taylor is great, but he's I like him better as a coach than, than maybe as a dad. So I'm going to go with Phil Dumphy as well. So we got Frank Costanza. Frank. Yep, that's a no-brainer. Frank we Costanza. <laughs> Festivus for the rest of us. All right. Moving down to the movie dads bracket. Number one, Noah, a.k.a. Mr. Levenstein, a.k.a. Jim's dad, against number four from the great outdoors, Chet, Rep- Chet Ripley. Ooh. We gotta go, Mr. Levenstein. We're both really good. Jim's dad. Yeah, I gotta go, Jim's dad. I mean, Chet Ripley, though, he's classic, great outdoors. Uh, reminds me a lot of my own dad. All right. <coughs> number two seed, Clark W. Griswold, against number three seed, Dr. Evil. Oh, geez. Um, we'll go Clark, uh, but Dr. Evil, he, you know, he became a better father to Scott. <laughs> Scotty? Made him evil. He turned him evil. Yeah, I'm going to go with Clark Griswold, too. I mean, he's, again, that's probably me. I'm Clark Griswold. So, All right, and then we got um, we got Jim's dad against Clark, both of us. Um, Jim's dad. And I'm going to go with Clark Griswold. All right, Ryan, you've got Peter Griffin against Jack Arnold. Um, Peter. Peter Griffin. I've got Peter Griffin against... Clough, Clough, Cliff, not Coach Clough, Cliff Huxtable. I'm going to go with Peter as well. Love Peter. Um, and then we've got, we both have Frank Costanza. You have him going against, um, oh. who do you have him going Jim, against? Jim's oh, dad. Jim's dad, yeah. I'll go, I'll go Frank. Frank, and I've got Frank against Clark Griswold. i got to go with Clark Griswold as much as I love Frank Costanza. So you've got Peter Griffin against Frank Costanza. Peter Griffin. And then I've got Peter Griffin against Clark Griswold. And I'm going to go with Clark W. Griswold. So that is our post-Father's Day. A little bit of fun. TV dads. Believe it or not, TV dads that you can find are a little bit harder to find. At least ones I thought Ryan would know. Yeah, I could have done Randy Marsh. You had Tim the Toolman Taylor. You have um, Danny Tanner from... Full House, but Ryan wasn't necessarily familiar with all those shows, so you get what you get. Next week, it'll be a new surprise of what we're going to talk about there. All right, moving on to, <coughs> excuse me, third down, we've got our Mount Rushmore of the week. Best in, in honor of the NBA draft that happened last week. Again, don't necessarily care that much about it. Do tune in a little bit just to see maybe what Big Ten guys do, so on and so forth, but Best number one overall NBA draft picks in history. Should we create our own four? Or are we gonna? Yeah, let's let's create our own four. Or do you want to talk about them? Because I think there's. I, I found this list and it's got, got a list really too. good. I mean, you got to put like Magic in there. I think you know one of the best. Kareem, 
unreal. I mean, LeBron, love him or hate him, he's one of the best players of all time. Um, I mean, Shaq was a number one pick. Tim Duncan, Hakeem. Um, yeah, you want to go back to it. I'll quick whip through them. David Robinson. Let's just say, we'll, we'll go this way. I'm going to say them, and you say yay or nay, whether they should be in consideration. Right. 1947, Clifton McNeely. No idea. For the Pittsburgh Ironman, number one pick. Interesting. 1948 and 1949, the Providence Steamrollers had the number one pick. Andy Tonkovich and Howie Shannon. I have no idea. No idea. 1950, the Celtics, Chuck Share. No idea. 51, Gene Melchiori. 52, Mark Workman. 53, Ray Felix. 54, Frank Selvey. 55, Dick Ricketts. Great name. 56, Cy Green. The Rochester Royals. 57, best name so far in the draft, Hot Rod Hunley. 58, Elgin Baylor. There's one that could definitely be on the list, potentially. 59, another great name, Bob Boozer. First round pick of the Cincinnati Royals. Uh, 60, here's another one right up there, Oscar Robertson. Yeah, he should be up there. For sure, yeah. Walt Bellamy, Bill McGill, Art Heyman, Jim Barnes, Fred Hetzel. Cassie Russell of Michigan fame, 1966, the New York Knicks is a good one. Jimmy Walker used to say dynamite, Detroit Pistons, number one pick. I don't know anything about Jimmy Walker, the basketball player. I do know about Jimmy Walker from good times. And the golfer. 1968, Elvin Hayes. Yeah, yeah, good player. Trivia, there, or, you know, the question, and then what team? The San Diego Ricketts. Mm. <laughs> Crazy. 1969, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, definitely up there. 1970, Pistons, Bob Lanier, great. Really great and Miller Lite, tastes great, less filling uh, commercials. 71, Austin Carr, another great one. Then you had LaRue Martin, Doug Collins, 76ers in 1973. Bill Walton, he's more known for being on shrooms and being a you know, a pothead than he probably was. I, I mean, he was a good NBA player, I guess, but he was more legendary as a college player. 75, David Thompson from NC State. 76, John Lucas, Houston Rockets. 77, Kurt Benson, Kent Benson, Milwaukee Bucks and Indiana uh, Hoosier. 78, Michael Thompson. 79, Magic Johnson. He's mm-hmm. definitely on the list. 80, Joe Barry Carroll. No 81, Mark Aguirre. With the Mavericks, but he ended up getting traded to the Pistons. 82, James Worthy. 83, Ralph Sampson. 84, Hakeem Olajuwon. We get a run of centers here. 85, Patrick Ewing. 86, Brad Doherty, who, Ryan, you probably never saw necessarily play, was great at North Carolina, was a fantastic player, and he retired early, I think, because of maybe knee injuries. They actually became a really good NASCAR announcer for ESPN. A little trivia question. 87, the run on big men continues. David Robinson, the Admiral. 88, Danny Manning. 89, never nervous Purvis Ellison. Kind of a bust. 90, Derek Coleman had a good career. 91, Grandmama, Larry Johnson. 92, Shaquille O'Neal. 93, Chris Weber. 94, Glenn Robinson. 95, Joe Smith from Maryland. 96, AI, Allen Iverson. 97, Tim Duncan. Mm -hmm. Here's a huge bust. 98, Michael Olakwakandi. 99, Elton Brand. 2000, Kenyon Martin from Cincinnati Bearcats. Michigan State was the number one seed because he broke his leg before the tournament. Trivia question. 
2001, another enormous bust, Kwame Brown. Oh. 2002, Yao Ming. 2003, LeBron James. 04, Dwight Howard. 05, Andrew Bogut, who ended up being an okay He's player, but he wasn't like overall number one pick. Andre Bargnani. Bargnani. Uh, 07, Ooh, Greg Oden, who was about 42 when he got drafted and I just had microfracture surgery and never did anything. 08, Derek Rose. Uh, 09, Blake Griffin. <laughs> yeah. 2010, John Wall. 2011, yeah. Kyrie Irving. Yeah. 2012, Anthony Davis. Anthony Bennett's a bust. 2013, Anthony Bennett, bust. 2014, Andrew Wiggins. He played All right. He did some things this he year. Got, for the he's revived his career. Yeah, 2015, Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Good player. Ben Simmons. Ben bust. Simmons. Markel bust. Fultz, 2016, bust. Markel Fultz. 2017, Aiton's Sixers. Right. Bust, bust. DeAndre Ayton. Pistons are trying to get him. 2018. 2019, Zion, Zion Williamson. Ryan held him six points in AAU tournament. Just saying. 2020, Anthony Edwards. Not Goose from... Top Gun, so, but AKA, uh, what's his name in the movie? Oh yeah, great, great movie by the way, Hustle. Yeah. Watch what, what it. What was on his Netflix. name in the movie? It was like uh, I don't know. Look it up. But anyway, great basketball movie. If you need one, the Adam Sandler movie. Um, and Anthony Edwards is in that movie. He's got a fairly prominent role actually, but a different name. Twenty twenty one, Cade Cunningham, and this year a little bit of a surprise. Cade. With twenty twenty two. The number one pick. A lot of people thought it would be Chet Holmgren, and it was Von Caro. Kermit Wiltz. Kermit, yeah, Kermit was his name. So, pick four guys out of that, Ryan, for your Mount Rushmore. LeBron, Kareem, um, Magic, and uh, Shaq. I'm going to go Magic... Yeah, hard to argue against Kareem. I'm going to go Tim Duncan. Mm. And, boy. Anti-LeBron. Yeah, I'm anti-LeBron. I hate LeBron. So, uh, boy. It's hard because there's so many great players on this list. Well, we'll go in terms of impact. I mean, you got to go Shaq because just, first of all, I really like Shaq. But, I mean, he was just a man-child behemoth beast back when big guys mattered in, in the draft. Now your big guys are these quasi-unicorns. 7 one, 190 pounders that they rave about the 12 pounds they've gained in two years, and their dad wears a man bun. You know, I'm talking about you, Chet. So, um, in honor of the NBA draft, a lot of good ones in there, a lot of busts, a lot of guys that we didn't know, but there's your Mount Rushmore for Ryan and I both. All right, moving on now to spot number four, which, first, the open? which has got a lot of stuff to talk about. I mean, we have the open, we have... The Travelers to talk about. We have the preview for the John Deere. All of a sudden, we have our question of the week. We have, you. I think I said the Open. We have our trip to um, Forest Dunes. We'll end with the trip to Forest Dunes. Yeah, you know, kind of, we'll say save the best for last. Uh-huh. Let's, go, um, let's go question of the week first. We'll throw the question of the week out of there. Yeah. So I've seen a couple versions of this, and actually there's two versions I've seen. Um, that are similar to this, so I'll ask you. Would you rather never miss a fairway again or never three-putt again? Three-putt? Never three-putt? Yeah, I mean, boy, that's tough. Having the way I played this weekend, I would say that getting in the fairways is great, but as long as you could get a chance to get it to the green, I would say agree with the three-putt because the course we played yesterday was, was pretty brutal. In terms of being able to get your way around that green at time, the green at times, and 
and I would have loved to wipe some of those three putts off my off my card yesterday for sure. So I would agree. I'll go with never three putt. So here's another one. Would you rather be able to hit every fairway or every green from 100 yards in? Every green? I would agree with that. Easily. Every green. There's a hummingbird outside the window. Sorry, distracting. Squirrel. Um, I would agree with that because greens in regulation, I had my best GIR round and maybe my life the other day and consequently I had one of the best rounds of my life. So greens and regulation, especially if you also don't three putt. And the final related question today, I saw Chris sent this. If you could take a magic pill before your round and start birdie, 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 or nothing higher than bogey for 18 holes, what would you take? Well, I feel like if I went birdie, 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 I'd probably have like 10 triples afterwards so maybe just under bogey i'm going with the bogey thing and we'll get to a little bit more of the details on why in a minute but um yeah i'm definitely going the bogey thing because if you figure bogey that sets you at a 90 and you know you're going to have you know even if you're a 12 to 14 handicap you're probably going to have six pars and you might have a couple of birdies all of a sudden you're shooting in the low 80s maybe high 70s so yeah I'm going to go with that as well. So that wipes out the question, plural questions of the week. Um, let's go next. Just I know I didn't necessarily see much of it, Ryan. You watch a little bit more of it maybe today. The Travelers. Yeah. You know, we got coming for the John Deere. Xander. Dub. Yeah. Talk about, like, if you didn't see it, um, what's good. his first name? Saith? Saith. Tagala. Tagala. He had a shot earlier this year at the waste management, and he got a bad bounce on. I think it was on like number seventeen. Went in the yep. water, had a sure, chance four, to win four. that tournament, and consequently ended up losing. Uh, I think Scotty Scheffler won, right? Um, and then, so what happens today is he hits a great drive seventeen at. If you've ever watched the Travelers, which is really fun to watch, actually, um, seventeen all water down the right. It's definitely an iron. It's a skinny. It's an intimidating looking tee shot. It's just stripes and iron, like 259 carry or something. goes into a divot, which we've covered here, and is the biggest BS rule in the world that you have to play out of a divot in the fairway. That just makes zero sense to me. But anyway, divot was facing the right direction, and the way he swung his club, he let go of it. I'm like, oh, boy, he put that in the drink. No, he hit it to, like, 10 feet and makes the birdie to take a one-shot lead. He's a hole ahead of Shoffley. You're thinking, man, all he has to do is probably par the last hole, and puts the pressure on Shawflay to birdie it to get into a playoff. First of all, that's a tight hole. You don't really need to take driver. I mean, you hit a three wood the way these guys hit it. You're probably like 150 in. Um, you just can control it a little bit better. He hits a drive into the left-hand fairway bunker, rolls all the way up to the end, and it's got an extremely steep lip. So he's 105 out, but like, I mean, it's going to be a harder than Matt Fitzpatrick at the U.S. Open shot. And he swings, and I don't, Ryan couldn't tell. It's hard to tell. Did he, I looked, he, he missed miss it? it? I, to me, it looked like he missed Did he just clunk the hill and it rolled almost right back? Fortunately for him, not in the same pitch mark. But all of a sudden, he's sitting there and he's hitting his third shot. And in the same spot, he knows he can't get to the green. So the best he can do is, is unless he holds out, is the best he can do is bogey and hope Shoffley pars so they can still go to a playoff. He makes the right decision there and actually hits a really good um, fourth shot, and then his fifth putt was just agonizing. It was online, and then at the last second, it kind of shifted left, and it caught the left lip, and it horseshoed out. 
So he takes his six, and then Shoffley just striped his drive, stuck his wedge, lob wedge, I think it was, and then made like a four-footer for birdie and ended up winning by two anyway. But, like, uh, Fields felt so bad Mm -hmm. for the guy. It's kind of the kind of thing that bonehead, you know, weekend golfers like us would make. But you're like, you got your meds, Take your medicine, man. Like, I hope he learns from that. Like, the one at at the... you know, at the waste management was not, not all a, his fault. That wasn't his fault. It was just a bad bounce, and sometimes bad bounces happen. But this was on him. It was a bad decision, and you know, I, I don't know. His caddy, from the best I could tell, was trying to talk him into just taking his medicine to begin with. You know, he wanted to hit the hero shot. Didn't need to hit the hero shot. Make birdie beat you. You know, if you can get your way out and get up and down and make a par, make birdie beat you since you already had the lead. Yeah. Um, which you know. Ultimately, had he made the bogey, um, it would have tied him, right? Or no, it would have beaten him. Yeah, it would have beaten him because it would have been a, a two-shot swing. Uh, but still, you know, put that pressure back on Shoffley. Shoffley had no pressure going to the last hole because of the way that thing played out. So, um, fun to see Thor Bjornsson, who I don't remember. Oh, he goes to Stanford. He finished fourth. Highest ever amateur finish there. Looked really good. Too bad he doesn't get any money. Uh, but a good kind of a good story there. Didn't see much of it because we were up north golfing um, Friday, Saturday. But um, yeah, that's kind of how the travelers went. Fun little fun little course, par seventy. Um, you know, it was like Rory. What you? What was the stat, Ryan? Rory was like had fifteen birdies, but and one bogey, and then he was like six under something. That was yesterday because he had so many blow ups and whatever. Cantlay kind of kept his struggle bus going. There's rumors that he might go to the Live Tour. I don't know, crazy. You got anything else on the nah, on the travelers? That's all I got. It was just whatever is what it is. Got the John Deere this week, and then we've got what the Scottish, and then we've got the British, right? Then we got the Brit, yeah. So Coming crazy. Um, throw a couple picks at you without doing any research at all for next week, just based on the field, and we'll go with Sagala and Burger for me. Yeah, um, John Deere. Oh, sh- Who'd you say, Burger and who? Sagala. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that he's gonna I'm bounce going, back. Going, a lot of guys a lot of times guys don't, but I think he's gonna bounce oh, back. This tournament's always weird. I'm going with the weird people. Adam Hadwin, he played well at the US Open. Harry Higgs. Nice. Nice. So we'll see how that goes. All right, let's go to um Well, one thing that's happened since the last time before we get into the US Open, Brooks Kepka going to the Screw Live him. Tour. Screw him. Rumors of maybe Cantley going to the Live Tour. Rumors Screw maybe him. of Shoffley. Let's hope not. Um we're having this discussion up north. Like, forget it. So far, it's like mostly the guys that you wouldn't root for anyway. Minus, well, Phil, now you wouldn't root for because he was an idiot about it. But minus maybe Shrek. The rest of the guys, you're like, good, good riddance. Like, who else could we yeah, send to the live tour and get him out of our hair? Um, Brooks is one of them. He doesn't even love golf. He doesn't even like golf. It's a job for him. You know, let him go and have his feud with bryson over there and yeah, you know have their coverage on you know on youtube tv or whatever it's going to be colored on. shirts they're 54 whole no cut that's not golf. Shot that's like start, that's garbage. like that's like country Exhibition. that's country club type of stuff you know like flighted whatever it's not flighted but screw it take the live tour can shove it i don't care how many more guys they can they take with them they can shove it they're they're going to be a flash in the pants. Shout it's out going to, to be Rory like and JT and, and Spieth. Those guys defend, like, just all in. Morikawa. Yeah. Shout out to those guys. And it's not easy, I'm sure, um, fielding those questions every week. Um, yeah, exactly. It's got to be getting, fun. It's, it's, get, be it's getting old. Stuff. It's getting old for them. But um, shout out to them for powering through. 
Right. And speaking of some of those guys, let's talk U.S. Open. Um, well, yeah, let's t- talk about um, finishing positions. I mean, you picked um, Fitzpatrick, and your guys finished uh, combined, um, let's see here, 45th, like 45 overall between Rory, um, Fitz, uh, Willie Z, and Jordan. Um, and then I had Rory, Colin Morcow, Zell, Torres, and Homa uh, finished 59th. So both had did really yeah, good. I had first T2, T5. And they were all bets that hit, which is nice. So I didn't put a lot of money on them, but it's still nice that I just love watching the U.S. Open. Um, I love the course. Love that course. We were talking this weekend. It's got to be in the rota. Like put it in the in the rotation of courses that get it every five or so. Better years. than wing foot. I mean, it was it was a challenge, but it wasn't impossible. Obviously, with what was a minus six was the winning score. Yep. Um, it, it was a fair challenge, but it was a tough challenge. Um, you had great golfers up there. You had some other great stories going on. You had Joel Damon, who I think it should be Damon, but what, what do I know? I don't have his last name. I mean, he was in contention, and actually I think finished just outside the top ten in a, in a tournament he wasn't even going to play in because he thought he couldn't win. Um, I like it that it wasn't so like length-proof that some of these guys that are maybe a little bit shorter hitters like Damon, Damon could do well. Um, how about him getting locked or having his car given away by the valet? That's hilarious. <laughs> As the leader on Saturday, he's standing there in the parking what lot, the hell? doing live podcast with uh, no laying up. Right? Was it yeah, or I was it the so. four play pod? It, was one, it was one of the two. Yeah. Um, so love or hate his bucket hat. It's a pretty funny, likable dude that way. Um, a lot of good stories though. You had the the amateur who actually ended up faring decently, who had a nine, had like four balls roll back to his feet. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, though. It was a fair test. It was a firm course. It was dry and it was windy. Then it got a little. It was a little bit more gettable Sunday because it rained overnight, like a third of an inch. You know, they didn't bake it out so much that it was unfair. You, it's not like you hit good shots and got penalized because that's the worst thing that can happen in golf. Whether you're playing your own round or you watch it on TV, I don't want to watch somebody stripe a drive down the fairway and have it, you know, careen off into the water. That's just that's to me is not fair. That course just. I mean, lived up to the billing as a U.S. Open course. Great, great job by Gil Hans getting that ready. Yeah, he's, um, he's I hope real. it goes back there again sometime soon. And Boston fans uh, are great sports fans as well. They had the Celtics going on and the and the you know against the Warriors. They had the Red Sox at home, so it was a huge sports week weekend in Boston that weekend. Um, that shot by Fitzpatrick, though, unbelievable. Right, you know, the day after in the same general spot, Rom was a little bit more towards the wispy grass and stuff. And Rom hit the lip and ended up double bogeying that hole and really took himself out of contention. Fitzpatrick, not, you know, he would admit that he's not a very good fairway bunker player. I mean, just absolutely sticks it. So you talk about his choices there. He had a little more reasonable lie, I guess you could say, but his choices were. Take your medicine, make a bogey, and get into a playoff, which I think in the U.S. Open was a two-hole aggregate, Three maybe? Hole. Three-hole. Um, with Zal Torres, or fire at it and just pray. And you can't really see much of the pin when you're hitting that shot, and he just pulled off a shot for the ages, and he stuck it. And, you know, Ryan didn't like him because he's got braces and he's a Brit, whatever, but... Likeable the way he handled it, you know his family story, the fact that he won the U.S. Amateur That's there in 2013. Cool. I respect him. Um, and Zal Torres, I mean, talk about a guy who's not a great putter, not really that great off the tee, but he's, he's so good one. with his irons. He's got to get one. Another runner-up finish, uh, tied with Scotty Scheffler for second. But 
I, I mean, and he's so young and he's just pretty unflappable. He thought that putt was going to drop for him to put it into a playoff. Um, but, you know, just, just a great golf weekend. You know, NBC, I think, does a really good job of their coverage. I can't even imagine, I don't know that I've ever heard CBS do the U.S. Open. I can't even imagine CBS doing a U.S. Open. No offense to CBS, but, which, by the way, Sir Nick Faldo. Retiring at the end of the this year, it'll be Trevor Immelman, former Masters champ, who yeah, does a good job the on the course. Year, he's done after um, in August, right? Yeah, well, their last event they're doing, I guess, the end of the end of the season. season. So, yeah, um, Immelman, I think, will do a good job. He does a good job on course. Um, you just want somebody that's knowledgeable. You don't want somebody to be too snotty, cocky, like rip on guys. You know, I think Azinger does a pretty good job walking the fine line. He's Sometimes right. Johnny Miller was a little bit too. Like rip guys, I don't. I don't want a guy that's going to rip guys. I want him to maybe question his decisions and whatever. But, um, you know, I think that Emelman will probably be pretty good. You know, you know, if if he had yeah, if he has the like Nance it. stamp of approval and Nance is really good at golf, I think uh, I think CBS will be just fine with that. So, um, that's kind of U.S. Open and some other hodgepodge of what's going on in golf. Ryan, do you have anything else from uh, No, US I mean, I, I loved the U.S. Open. I thought it was fantastic um, all four days and. Um, you know, looking forward to the Open coming up here at the birthplace of golf, yeah, the 150th. Yeah, I mean, how about the fact, too, that Fitzpatrick in that Sunday round, 17 out of 18 screen uh, regulation. That'll do it for you. That'll win golf tournaments when you're, especially in the U.S. Open, when you're hitting 17 out of 18, and he had some bomb putts, too. I mean, just fantastic golf by him. You know, well-deserved win. Didn't back into it, didn't luck into it. Hit that shot on on eighteen like we talked about. Hit all those greens. Um, I mean, bravo! Hats off! Great, great him. victory uh, for him. All right, now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to the fun, which was this weekend, the fifth annual Gam. I don't know what you'd call it. We're kind of we are all Gam boys, but um, Uncle Tom this year, Alex instead of Brad. Brad doing his internship down in Texas against Ryan and I. It's our fifth annual. We've done Boeing, Arcadia, Boeing, Garland, and this year we went to Forest Dunes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ryan and I had never set eyes on it, minus watching you know, the No Laying Up podcast coverage of playing there when it looked cool enough. I, I've got to say, grounds-wise, when you come in and you see it, the Forest Dunes course is fantastic. It is pristine. And it's been dry, so... You know, but it was still lush. Like the Dunes course was lush, and the first nine is very more cut out of the woods. The second nine is a little bit more um, dunesy, um, and really the last few holes coming in is especially when you get a little bit more dunesy. But just visually, incredibly appealing, immaculate shape, fair but challenging. Um, you know, great hospitality, great setup. Like, there's nothing up there in Roscommon, Michigan, around there, so you're there. Um, and Sugar Ray, the starter on the bootlegger, yeah. was telling us that they're going to build another 18 in a, in a full hotel, which they're going to need to do because they're going to need more rooms. But, um, you know, so day one we played Force Dunes, so we can Love break it. that down for you a little bit. Yeah, the front's very w- typical northern Michigan, you know, woodsy, 
you know, some cut between the trees, you know, hills, elevations, and water in there. Challenging but fair, I would say. Like um, terrible. One kind of tricky-ish hole, which is kind of a split fairway with a giant tree and There's, sand yeah. in There's the middle, some. which was kind of an interesting one, but it gave you choices. You could take an iron and go left. Is that then, gamble? You know, uh, I think so. Yeah. Yep, number yep, six. number six. Um, or you could go... Um, you know, to the right and bomb it out into the second fairway over the traps and past the tree. Um, I played that nine uh, at a 41 with a nine, a quadruple bogey on the following hole, the seventh hole, goalposts. Um, I, I chipped in from 70 yards out on number eight for for a birdie. It was one of those just like I started just with five pars. I mean, I played the best nine of my life, really. Not score-wise, not the best because I've had better nines than that, but like minus that nine. So you think a quadruple bogey with 41. Again, going back to that discussion, would you rather start birdie, birdie, birdie or have nothing over a bogey? I'd gladly take nothing over a bogey because then I'd throw a 37 on the card. But, you know, we played combo tees, um, which is fit for our handicap in the, you know, 14-ish range. 3,200 yards on the front, you know, par threes manageable, 178 and 163. Um, you know, probably the longest hole was, the par fives are not super long, but they're a little tricky because they're tight. Like the one that I had the nine on was kind of tight, and I fried egg went into a bunker. Bunkers are not my friend. Um, okay. You know, they're kind of rough where you can, it's hard to find your ball if you get but in the rough, like the higher rough. rough. Well, like me, every other shot. Yeah, rougher round for, for Ryan there. But back nine, more open. Um, again, just, you know, great golf holes. Like, everything was enjoyable. The greens were fantastic. Like, they were firm, and they made that thump sound that you hear on a good green. They were they were fast. They rolled true. They were pretty dry. It's not like they were super lush, but they, they held. So you could hit an iron into them, and they would hold. Um, they rolled true to how you read them. Um, you know, I thought the bunkers were in great shape and well played. I would, I would say the greens were some of the better greens I've ever yeah, played. Yeah, unbelievable. On, they're all they're no ball marks on mm-hmm. them. You know, it's really easy. It's like you know when you put your ball mark in, it's like putting it into warm butter. Like just unreal. easily comes up, tap it down, and you know, of course, people there at a higher end. I mean, there was a group of guys yesterday oh, we overheard man. they were playing a three hole. End of their weekend match for thirty six grand, sixteen seventeen guys. So you know, yeah, no. two plus a man in this thing, insane. But like, so you got guys that are, you know, you're paying good money to play this. Probably the courses were that we paid were one hundred seventy five dollars a piece. I would guess based on the yeah, cost of the bill. Um, just unbelievably great shape. And the beauty of Force Dunes was you are literally playing a golf hole by yourself. You do not see anybody. You don't see anybody adjacent to you. Unless you got really somebody pressing you, you don't see anybody behind you. You don't see anybody in front of you. The only time we saw anybody in front of us was on number one. And one hole, there was a threesome behind us that started to kind of catch up with us. Uh, I mean, it was it was like just having a course to yourself as a foursome, and it was a beautiful thing. Um, I followed up that front nine with a, another three pars in a row start. Then I had a bogey. I'm like, okay, that's going to be normal. And I had, then I went par birdie birdie with another chip in off the green. 
But I followed that up because that was the first time I thought about it all day going into 17. If I just par out these last two holes, I'm going to shoot a 76. Now, mind you, my best score ever has been a 79, um, maybe like three times. Uh, not on a course nearly as hard as this. The sl- I think slope was 135 for this. Rating was like 71-ish or so for the, the tees that we played. And it's it's not really a driver hole, but I've been hitting my driver well, so I hit my driver anyway. Hit into a waste bunker, which, okay, fine. I'm all right with that. I can pick it out, except for I was kind of up against the brush in the end of it. Chunked it into like an abyss of something between bunkers. Lucky to find that. Chunked that into a trap. Took me three to get out. Took an eight and... Just like took all the wind out of my sails. I'm thinking finally for the first time in my head all day, I put together the fact that I knew that I was probably playing the best golf I'd ever played. And for 16 holes, I was, you know, basically I was even par. Yeah. (laughs) For 16 holes. Out of your mind. Out of your mind. Everything was going right. I was, I mean, chipping in. I was close on, I was making putts. I, I mean, it was like best greens and regulation round I've probably ever had. I was close to 60%. Which goes to show you, you hit your greens in regulation, good things happen. Good things happen. No three putts. I mean, it was just everything minus those two holes. 17 strokes and two holes were killer. But that doesn't take away from the fact that I would go back there and play that course 100 times again. I mean, it's... I'd have to really think about all the courses that I've played. But, I mean, off the cuff, I'd put it in the top five for me for sure. Yeah, without Um, a doubt. In Michigan... It's right there with Arcadia Bluffs. I think Arcadia Bluffs is still one, but it's it's a close second for me. And there's a lot of good golf courses in Michigan too. I mean, it was it was that good. Yeah, I would. That's just beautiful. So lush. I I love it. I could play that all the time. Yeah, I just hopefully better than I did. But. <laughs> yeah, we fortunately we were playing um, team total that day, so the fact that I shot an eighty helped yeah, us get helped. A, helped get I a good too. lead for the for our two-day match that we had with uh, Uncle Tom and Alex. But, um, yeah, I mean, greens, probably, uh, honestly, I mean, I'd even say the greens are better than Arcadia Bluffs. Maybe second second only to Harbortown, honestly, in terms of the shape of greens. How good they were. Um, Just the course layout is, you know, Pretty close to a five out of five. I mean, there's there was nothing I didn't like about it, minus the fact that I well Ryan didn't play very well, admittedly. And if he's saying it's a top course, you know, of course it's easy for me to say that because I played you know lights out, but it still was just an amazing golf course. And the two holes, well, especially the seventeenth that I screwed up, I would definitely play that different um, if I was in the same situation the next time. But that is a course we will play again. Yeah. So I got up the next morning and played. Arguably, probably one of the, if not the most unique golf experiences you can get. If you're not familiar, huh. and, and all three of these four students courses are in the top 100, I think, in the country, right? You're being polite. It was, it was quite diabolical. The Loop. So the Loop, if you're not familiar, black. we played the Loop Black. The Loop is an 18-hole golf course that is played one way one day and the reverse the next day. Yes, you heard that right. So, number one for us yesterday would be would have been number seventeen today. Number nine is always number nine. Number eighteen is always number eighteen. All the other holes you're playing backwards the next day. That's one thing I would love to do is go up there and play it again and play the loop on back to back days. There's two or three days a year where you can they'll switch it at midday, so you could play in the morning and like do thirty six there. That would be really cool, I think. 
uh, probably impossible to get a tea time, but um, just such a unique concept. So you're on the same stretch of land and you just get used to kind of turning around and looking to see from the green you were on, like what does the approach look at? Or you look back from the last green and like where the, where the tea ground would be. Um, Just such an incredible, you know, way that they thought that out and and used the land. And and I'm going to just tell you this right now. We played the middle tees. That is only 118 slope of bullshit. It's 140. That is one of the hardest courses I've played. It's so hard. Undulations are insane. And here's the thing. it's Really, it's hard because what you see is out in front of you. Like, it's true links. Like, we asked Tom because he'd played there before, and he's played in Ireland. You don't find a course like this in the U.S. You you just don't. People can say they're links. This is true links golf. It's more of the, you know, although the fairways are pretty pretty dry and tight because it's been dry up there um so you had some bare spots in the fairway even but it was pretty much what you'd expect like in hot dry ireland or scotland or whatever in july um you know pot bunkers everywhere and hidden bunkers when you're considered that you're playing the course backwards the greens were diabolical like it's not overly long it's par 70 just over six thousand yeah, yards not long at all um but really. like you know, the advice I got before I went, the advice you got from reading anything, the advice you got from the starter was bounce everything up to the green. Very bump and run. Now, mind you, there's not a whole lot of places because most golf courses water the snot out of their greens. You don't get a whole lot of true bump, bump and run type of courses around Michigan, I would argue. Um, and the problem was, is I I was fighting that advice with the fact that we were playing into a 20 mile an hour wind for, I felt like it was like, what did Alex say? That we were in a vortex. Like it just swirled to go into our face, no matter what way we were going. Um, It felt like nothing was downwind, but you know, your, your mind is trained all of a sudden to take one less club and bounce it in because the greens don't hold. They legit don't hold. And the the, 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 Landing areas are like postage stamps. I mean, they're five by five and on these massive green complexes that have buried elephants everywhere. And again, remember, remember these, you know, number one green plays is number 17 the next day. So it's got to be able to kind of play from both angles. Um, not, easy. It, not easy at all. I mean, very, very Easy to three putt. We were playing snakes all weekend. The majority, I think, we ended up with eighteen. Well, we actually only had ten three putts yesterday, so it wasn't too crazy between the four of us. But like, it was it was a tough course. Like one eighteen, my ass. USGA Gam, go yeah, who, rate that who, course. Who were rated? That's an idiot. I, I just six like sixty eight point eight and one eighteen. Nah, no way. It's no way. one low one thirties easy because the Forest Dunes was one thirty five, and that was a hard course, but it was. Like the greens, at least, if you fired at a green, you were going to hold. I mean, there were undulations and stuff, but you might roll back into something, but you weren't rolling 30 yards off the green. You know, if you landed it short, you weren't rolling back into a pot bunker um, on the dunes course. So that aside, that would be the only thing. I mean, it's a hard course, but it was enjoyable because it's so different. Um, Wide open, wide open. Ryan got his mojo back a little bit on the back nine, so that was good because I am 9-0-1 against him this year, and I think he's about ready to actually stab me in the back and kill me because um, mm-hmm. he's getting frustrated. So it was good to see him get a little bit of his game back. But um, I, I would highly, highly, highly recommend the loop and force Dunes. He's going to play it. I mean, it's not, it's not easy. It's not 
I wouldn't. I mean, you're gonna get frustrated, but it, mm-hmm. it's it's something you have to do at least once. I think. Yeah, um, I agree, and that's why I said I'd love to play, you know, back to back the black one day, the red one day, or vice versa, just just to kind of see it from both sides. I mean, I wouldn't say it's in my top ten even all time, but it's a it's a course I definitely play again, and it's a course that I want to play again now that I know it a little bit better. Um, but the experience there and the whole thing, the lodging was good. The people were great. The people that work there, you can tell a lot of college kids that are probably in like the PGA program at Fair State or something. Um, great outdoor bar called, I think that's called the Bootlegger Bar, right? Ryan? Yes, Bootlegger Bar. They have a 19th hole on the Forest Dunes course, which is great. That's so, you cool. know, you never, you can settle all your, your matches. It's a short par three over water with a, with a pot bunker in the middle of the green, which is pretty sweet. Uh, um, Food was great, you know. All the starters and all the people that we ran into were Very great. Very nice. Very nice. Um, and then I think probably one of the more fun and unique the parts too was the bootlegger. Ryan, you you take the bootlegger because I've talked. Yeah, a lot. ten ten holes, all one hundred and thirty one yards or less. You know, you just walk, go out there to take a few clubs. Um, we played barefoot. It was amazing. Um, you know, hit off these mats and hit them up these greens. These greens basically. Um, just very hilly, undulated. There's bunkers around them. Um, you know, good chance of getting hole in one, sticking them close. So fun. I mean, there's a hole that was like 65 yards or something mm-hmm. like that, 66. Um, we played one hole with just our putters. That was a downhill. Yeah, we played hole. it twice. We played the bootlegger twice. So we got 20 extra or 10 extra holes in. Um, so, oh, I could do that all day without getting tired. Oh, yeah. I mean, we literally take off your shoes, you grab. Like, I now I know better. I wouldn't even bother with my sand wedge. I'd just bring my gap wedge, my pitching wedge, and my putter. And you just walk. It's pretty hilly, but you it's not like it's tiring. And the grass is just like plush carpet and the greens. And, I mean, it, it gets probably more play at the end of the day, I would say. It's like the end add-on to your rounds. When we played yeah. it, we got out of the on our tea time, which we had. We got out early, got through, and Sugar Ray, the starter, is like, hey, you guys can play it again. Once you play it, once you pay for it once, you can loop it as much as you want. So we got out ahead of the $36,000 match, which was going to play a hole there, and we played it again. Uh, shout out to Tom, who who shot a you know 31 and then shot par on it. He had that thing lit up. He had it yeah, set up. Um, but it's, it's just fun because there's just like so many. You can hit it way left and then just like feed it across the green. A couple times we thought Ryan was going to have a hole in one. I mean, just fun concept. The other thing there, too, is they have an 18-hole putting course. Although the one drawback to that, and I know why they keep it a little bit more plush, is you know because they're getting a lot of play on it. But it's way slower than the <laughs> The other greens and so if you go and use that as your practice green even though it's got a lot of the undulations and stuff your speed is going to be way out of whack uh, but still fun you know fun to grab your putter maybe after you're done for the day go play you know play for some cash or whatever play for some hole in one cash drink some beers um you know a lot of a lot of fun you know great right there and all in the same footprint basically love to see what they're going to do with another 18 there but um you know, not a paid advertisement for Forest Dunes, but absolutely worth every penny of it. Uh, like I said, the Dunes course, top five all time for me. Number two in Michigan behind Arcadia Bluffs for sure. Um, and even the loop, you know, it's probably, I don't know, it's probably in the 10 to 15 range for me of yeah. all courses that I've played. But in Michigan, it's it's pretty up there too, just because it's so unique and fun. But um, yeah, 
you know, didn't play quite as well for me on Saturday as I did on Friday, but still a fun weekend. First time in five years, Ryan and I actually won the GAM Cup, as we call it, um, partially because I had a career round and partially because Ryan had a um, a great back nine yesterday. We were playing uh, best ball, so low team scoring handicap, so that was good. A um, lot of fun, a lot of good memories. Um, not a bad drive from Grand Rapids either, so if you fly into Grand Rapids and go, it's like two hours and 20 minutes or so. There's plenty of other courses on the way up and around there if you wanted to make it a mega long weekend or something and not strictly stay at you the resort play either. But you have to. Yeah. It's a it's a must play course. All right, Ryan, you got anything else golf wise? Nope. All right, that was a, a long golf segment this time, but uh, well worth it for that four students review. All right, moving on to our sprint. We'll move back to basketball a little bit here. Better all time glue guy in honor of the uh, NBA Finals having you know been conquered a week or so ago. Rodman or Draymond? Oh, that's tough. Rodman won a lot of lot of rings. I'll go Draymond. Draymond's got four though, and he's not the freak bag that Rodman was. He's He's interesting, but he's not weird. And he's not a distraction in the way that Rodman was. I felt like Rodman, with his shtick and his nose rings and his tattoos later in his career, was more of a distraction. Like early career Rodman with the Pistons, if it would have stayed like that, I'd go with Rodman. But Draymond, I mean, in in honor of your your. podium a couple weeks ago too were ripping on people who were ripping on Draymond that team is not an NBA championship team without Draymond nope. alright second sprint spot 1 to 10 scale how happy are you with the Pistons draft 10 couldn't be happier love it I think they filled some needs they got some great guys they've got a really good young roster now they just maybe need to plug some holes and they can actually maybe contend for the playoffs and, and start to make some moves forward so Maybe the Pistons vault ahead of everybody else, even Stevie Y and the and the Red Wings and their rebuild process with that draft. I I I mean I don't know how you could necessarily get any better, but I'll give it a nine just because you know it always is, remains to be seen um, how the guys actually play out. Uh, number three, one to ten level shock level that Max Christie went 35th to the Lakers. Very surprised. Um, I don't know. Nine? I'm, and Houston went in the first round. Did he go first 30 round? 32nd. 30 second? So I mean, Diabate. I mean, all those guys that we thought might go undrafted went drafted. Yeah, I thought Christie would probably be more high 40s. Um, so yeah, I'm kind of surprised by that for sure. Although, Steve Cherry, buddy, was saying he had heard that the Warriors really liked Christie as kind of a pool type of player. Um, that they wanted to kind of maybe invest in late in the first round. They obviously didn't go there. He goes to the Lakers, go play with LeBron, whatever. Um, I, oh boy, I honestly thought he might not even get drafted, so I'm going to give that a 9, too, in terms of shock level. I, you can see the potential, but it's one thing if you can shoot, but if you can't make them, who cares if your shot's pretty quick? Right, yeah, exactly. I mean, it looks like a, a boy against, against men. All right, and spot number four for the sprint. Give me the three TV dads you want in your golf foursome. Uh, t- uh, Peter Griffin. Um, uh, I don't, I don't know Homer Simpson. I don't know what's another one. One of those guys. Well, who were your guys that you picked before? Um, who was my ninth? You had Peter Griffin. You had. Jack Arnold, who actually played golf in one of the yeah, we'll say of the Wonder him. Years. Sure. I don't know. I don't care. I'm going uh, 
I'm going Frank Costanza, Jim's dad, and Peter Griffin. I fun. think that would be one heck of a fun foursome. Fun. All right, Ryan, close us out with any final reminders. Uh, just remember to let us know what you want to hear. Um, looking for topic ideas, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, appreciate you guys listening. Like like us on um, Apple Pod, wherever you listen on Spotify. Give us five stars. Give us one star. Leave a comment, whatever you want. All right, and a uh, last shout out to our presenting sponsor, Team Anders Realtors, Jim, Donna, Tim, Sean, and team. Great realtors if you're in the West Michigan area, experienced, great people, um, even better people than they are realtors, and they're fantastic realtors. Look them up, teamanders.com. Meanwhile, as Phil Dumphy once said, I've always said that if my son thinks of me as one of his idiot friends, I've succeeded as a dad. And I'll leave you with a gem from Jim's dad. Keep it real, homies. Yeah.